Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juna Women Podcast, where I sit down with mamas to talk about their health, their work, their parenting, and all the different ways that they're keeping it together. Juna is a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your pregnancy and motherhood journey. Everything we do is to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today, I'm talking to Haley Goldberg, a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in helping parents of toddlers and preschoolers. Haley's goal is to help parents get to the root of their parenting frustrations and challenges and teaching them positive and collaborative strategies that build warm and trusting relationships between parents and children. In today's episode, Haley talks about her approach to parenting and how it is our responsibility as parents to coach, guide, and teach our children how we want them to behave. We dive deep into discipline, where she explains why we should be spending the majority of our time encouraging behavior we want to see and preventing behavior we don't want to see, instead of spending a lot of time actually managing the behavior as it happens. This episode was so incredibly helpful for me as a parent just to participate in, so I hope it is just as helpful for you as you're listening. My family, um, I have three kids. My kids are actually older. So even though I spend all my day talking and coaching with parents with younger preschool and toddler age, um, my oldest is 25. Um, So I have Robin, Davin, and Karen. Robin is 25. Davin is 21. He's soon to be graduating um, college and out in the work world. Robin, my oldest, is um, actually in vet school. So oh, wow. she's, yeah, so she's up at UC Davis. She has about 18 months left of their veterinary medicine program, and then she'll be out in the working world. Good for her. Yeah. Um, she's, you know, she's had that passion since she was five years old. She's always said she wants to be a vet, and it's amazing to watch that dream of hers come, th- you know, come true after yeah. all these years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I love when, like, kids just know and then they do. Oh, it, it, it certainly makes things easier when they're picking colleges, when, you know, which colleges, and it just puts them on a great direction, but not all of them have that. So right. um, then I have Davin, my son, he's 21. Um, amazing kid. He is finishing up at UCLA in the, in um, well in the summer. So he'll be graduating and out into the work world. And yeah, he he's got more of a business major. So he's one of those kids that's not quite sure what he wants to do. He knows he wants to go into business. He's not sure what kind of business. So he's going to be one of those kids that really I work with to kind of figure out his path because it's not a direct path like Robin. Right. And and you'll hear that as we talk about. Um, you know, some of the parenting, he was always my kid that was that little bit more different. And I had to figure out who he was, what he needed to parent him because he was very different to Robin or my younger daughter, Karen. Um, Karen is my youngest. She's 16. She is 11th grade in high school. And she's a lot like her sister. So two of my kids are really um, very similar. Davin is very different. Robin knew what she wanted to do from five. She's just kind of got it. Karen, same thing. She wants to go in and do um, psychiatric mental health nursing is Karen's um, goal. And yeah, she's on track. She's working towards that. She's 11th grade. So we're dealing with all the AP classes and ACT testing and all that good stuff. But so that's where I sit with my own kids is on that end of the spectrum. And then a lot of time just with um, families talking, you know, preschool, toddler age. How did you end up? Because you were... um... You've changed, you've kind of like moved your path a little bit, right? Yeah, so kind of similar. So I am a licensed marriage family therapist. And so I was in the in the you know counseling world right from the beginning. 
But one of, you know, when you have to get licensed, you do different um, internships. And one of the places that I worked at was um, working with families with adoption and foster care. And that kind of got me really interested in family work and understanding, you know, the trauma around, you know, that kids have been through and then reintegrating them into, you know, their forever families that have been adopted and it didn't always work so great. So understanding what that means and how do we get families on track? How do we get parents understanding who these kids are, what they've been through, what they need? Because we really can't just, it's not just about loving them and just loving the heck out of them and then they're going to be on the right path. There's so much more that goes into it is what I learned. So that kind of got me fascinated in the whole parenting piece and relationships and connection and attachment, you know, all of that. And then, so that kind of took me in the parenting direction. And then I had, like I said, my three kids, Robin, Davin, and, and Karen. Davin, so different, great kid, but He, when it came to social, emotional, just his emotions and meltdowns and tantrums and behavior and defiance and strong-willed, all those great things um, were just really hard to parent when he was younger. Mm -hmm. So with that, you know, so with my coach, you know, my counseling background, with my personal experience with Davin and figuring out what he needed from me so he could be successful, those two kind of came together to take me into parent coaching. And so I actually then spent the next seven years working with our local school district. I was their mental health specialist and their parenting coach. So that allowed me to also just, you know, delve much more into, you know, positive discipline, parenting, all of that. And I was working with toddler preschool age groups. So kind of just kept with that, um, that age range. And I love that age because seeing where I went wrong with Davin, what I could have done differently, knowing what I know now, now that I've got a broader view of parenting and I'm at the other end of parenting, mm-hmm. it's so much easier for me to help parents understand their parenting journey, their parenting goals, what each kid needs from them, and kind of break it down into simple pieces for parents. So that parenting is not so overwhelming for them and they've got direction, they've got purpose, they've got parenting goals that they can work towards that are specific with their little guys that they have. That makes sense. And so what are like some examples of the little pieces? So the little pieces, it's, it's really helping parents create an awareness around themselves, around parenting, who they are, what their needs are, how they want to be as parents. So how do they want to show up in their kids' lives and for their family in terms of parenting? So one is helping parents understand that. And then what shifts do we need to do? What are their triggers? Um, what's their childhood experiences around parenting, you know, the messages mm. they got in parenting that we kind of got to backtrack and refigure for them. Um, so helping them with that, but just creating that awareness and getting clear around who they want to be, how they want to show up as parents. And then we can figure out, you know, what do we need to understand then and do differently? Um, same with understanding their kids, you know, having that awareness around who their kids are. So we talk a lot about just understanding your child's temperament. Each mm-hmm. kid's going to have a different temperament. They're going to vary on the different temperament traits, where there's a goodness of fit, where there's a lack of fit between parent and child in terms of different temperaments. So really understanding then from a parenting perspective who they are in terms of temperament, who their child is in terms of temperament, where they come together, where, where there's a, a lack of fit, where they're ending up in a lot more frustration and power struggles um, and just parenting issues that can be driving some of the challenges that they face. So helping them get that awareness around their kids. And then, yeah, so that once I understand their kids, then we can also look at parenting goals. So I also help parents just get clear about their parenting goals. Who do they want their kids to be? 
what life skills and characteristics do they want these little guys to have when they grow up, which is all too quick. And they're sitting in my position with college age kids who are coming home you know, during the summers or winter break to visit. Who do you want them to be? Because at the, the end of the day, that's what parenting is. It's really building life skills and characteristics in our kids so that they can become the successful, happy, well-adjusted, emotionally healthy adults. So helping build that um, you know, parenting direction, their parenting goals with them. And then we kind of got to tie it all together because then they said, hey, you know, that's fabulous. And now I know what I need. I know what my kids need. But how the heck do we do this? So then we need to do strategies. So then we'll talk about what are some of the strategies that we can put together that are specific for your family's needs, your goals, your awareness, your clarity, what you want for your kids, life skills and characteristics. What are some better or more effective parenting strategies that we can use to help you get there? Okay. I'll use my son as an example. Okay. Um, just by, I'm going to take his personality. Like I, like he is um, sensitive, sometimes empathetic, really sweet, but like randomly has these like outrageous tantrums that you're just like, like, what is this even about? Like, it, like this morning it was, I, he wanted to um, read this book and we were transitioning out from like I was going to work and our nanny was taking over. Mm-hmm. Um, my goals for him now, I'm, I'm, so that was, that's my son. Me, like I just want a child who is a kind person, mm-hmm. who is empathetic, be like, <laughs> but not to a fault. And I like, I have big, I have big aspirations for him because, you know, like he's bright, he's, uh, he's, like I just I I like all of these things that I want for him are, are kind of like what I have. Like I you know I went to college, I went to business school, I mm-hmm. had a I have a career. Like I want him to have all the things that he wants too, um, and whatever that is. Like if he wants to be a musician, wonderful. He wants to be an artist. I just want him to pursue something that he loves. Yeah, to find his passion and to pursue his passion. Yes. So th- those are th- that's what I want for him. Like ha- now, how am I? What was the next thing? So understanding temperament or? Yeah, I think that was where I got a little confused is like, how do I identify like traits of his temperament? Because I I think that like that might be the problem here Um, is like, I, I don't, I don't know if I understand his temperament. Okay. So yeah, so that, that would definitely be a place to start. Did you tell me how old he was? Did you mention? Oh, no, I didn't. He's three and a half. Okay. Okay. So when we look at that, yeah, there's a few things that we want to look at. You know, when, we, when I look with, work with parents we, and we look at temperament, you know, there's 10 temperament scales that we look at um, okay. and seeing where they fit on those temperament scales and seeing also where, um, you know, where parents fit or, or land on those same temperament scales. Um, so some of our kids, you know, some of the things that we look at is, um, especially when it comes to emotions, we'll look mm-hmm. at intensity of response, like intensity of reaction, how much energy kids or us will put into expressing our emotions. Some of mm. our kids are just wired in a way that they're just much more intense, much more dramatic in their responses versus others who are just much more low intensity or have more of a mild reaction to, um, to their emotions. 
So looking at, you know, just to pull that one temperament trait out, it's really looking at, you know, how does he do around emotions? Is he, not when he's having a meltdown necessarily, but when he's happy and excited as well, is he one of those kids that when he's happy and excited, I mean, it's like best day ever. He's so excited and everybody around him is, um, you know, inflected with that happiness and excitement. Yes. Okay. But then <laughs> yes. that's yes. him. Yeah. But then, you know, so now we've got to know on the other side, the flip side is when things don't go his way, he's not just going to be, um, he's not going to be mild in his response either. It's, you know, right. pretty much, oh my God, worst day ever. And he's going to have intensity in those reactions. So just pulling that one trait, then if you say, yeah, he's highly intense with that. Where are you on that scale? Are you very intense, you know, in your reactions to emotions? Are you much more mild with your response to emotions? If you're more mild, sometimes we get triggered when our kids have those high, dramatic, intense responses because they're so foreign to us. It's not how we are wired. And okay, so we're going to get triggered. So <laughs> yes. Is that making sense? No, yes, yes. Okay. Okay. So we get triggered and then we're going to be more respons- more reactive in our parenting towards him because we're upset with, um, you know, we're upset with the, with the intense reaction that he has because that's how he, and that's how he's wired. Yeah. So that's that awareness that I'm saying. We really have to take time to consider our kids, know these temperament traits, understand where they are on those traits, where we are on those traits. And then what do we need to do? We need to lead the charge as parents. We have to understand that in ourselves. We have to understand those traits in our kids. And what can we do differently to kind of coach, guide, and teach our kids around emotions and how to have a slower or calmer response, not to be so highly intense all the time around emotions. Now that you've just articulated it like that, I'm like, okay, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. What, and like there's, you know, like you, you do talk a lot about kind of uh, – parenting to the individual and um you know I, I think about like the different parenting that that he needs versus my daughter yeah and so it, it's I think that having actually having a second kid has been really helpful in helping me understand my my son better mm-hmm. because because I've seen the differences in their personalities yeah, and and sometimes that's you know that's really highlighting, and it's not that we want to compare our kids. I'm, I'm never say parents, you know, compare your kids, right? But just being able to see those differences does allow you to say, okay, what does she need to succeed? What does he need to succeed? And for some time, you know, so here's the other piece. So temperament is one part that I look at when I meet with families in terms of um, understanding their kids and creating a parenting plan. The other piece that I look at is just, you know, just these areas of child development. And I kind of, I break it up for families into um, these buckets of child development. And all of these buckets are really important. And I'll I'll tell you what they are in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, All these buckets are really important for our kids. The more we can fill those buckets, the more well-rounded our kids are going to be in terms of their development. However, we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses. Part of it is our temperament and how we're wired. We're wired differently. So we'll have strengths and weaknesses in different areas of these buckets. And that, again, we have to understand what are those buckets of child development and where are things filling naturally or developing more easily and more naturally for one of our kids in in any of these areas? Where are they not developing as easily? And if they're not developing as easily, 
if it's more of a struggle for our kids, then I tell parents that also goes into your parenting goals because now for that child, we want to be putting two deposits into that bucket for every one deposit we might be putting into other areas of their development that are happening more easily and more naturally for them. So the areas of development that I look at with parents is we look at a child's social development. We look at their emotional development. We look at their sensory development, their language and communication skills, their cognitive development. We look at their motor skills. So that's their gross and fine motor skills. I look at their creativity. We look at spirituality. And then we also, for me, it's really important that I work with when I work with families is we also have to have a resilience bucket for our kids. Mm -hmm. Life is hard. Life can knock them around sometimes. They're going to get some bumps and bruises. And they have to have some skills in that resilience bucket to um, manage that when it comes up. So again, what do they have in that bucket? For our little guys, it's pretty empty. So we've got to be putting deposits in there. And I tell parents, you know, that's the opportunities, that's the experiences that we create for our kids. It's how we parent our kids that then fills all of these buckets of um, development for them, knowing that some buckets we may need to put two deposits for one deposit into some of the other areas. That makes sense. Can you give um, like a concrete uh, example of each? Like I can think of two two for like two of them, but I I'm like, what the, I think the first two that you said, I was like, what, what actually would fall in those? <laughs> so social development and emotional development? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So social development would be how are they interacting with children or parents or what, like people around them? Yeah. So that's their social skills. Okay. And we really, a lot of the time we talk about social emotional development. I break them down because when I'm coaching with families, we can have much bigger, deeper, more meaningful conversations in each of these buckets. A lot of times they link social, you know, and emotional development mm-hmm. will go together because it's really, it's looking at how do kids, you know, do, in terms of the emotional development, do they have a range of emotions? Are they aware of their emotions, a range of their emotions? Um, how do they understand their emotions? Can they label those emotions? You know, if you can name it, you can start to tame it. But if we right. don't have a label for it, how do we tame something we don't have? Um, how do they process those emotions? How do they have, do they have some coping strategies in that emotional development that allows them to um, process and calm down when they've got those big emotions happening so that later on we can come and we can go to, you know, we can problem solve around those behaviors, around those emotions. So emotional development will include all of those pieces. It, you know, the awareness, it's the labeling of emotions, it's the ability for coping strategies to process those emotions, feel those emotions, process those emotions, and get the body and the brain back to calm. Tied into that then with social development is also how do you manage your behavior when those big emotions are happening? So are they managing them in socially appropriate, are they managing their emotions in socially appropriate ways or are they hitting, kicking and screaming? We want to work on that social development in terms of how behavior is related to emotions. Got it. And, and so I'm, I'm curious because like these, I, I, these obviously will change, the way that you parent those will change at each like age. And so... Like, like, do, am I talking to an 18 month old? It's, it's, it's so sad. I, I actually have an 18 month old, but I'm just like, I don't remember when I started talking to my son about emotions mm-hmm. 
and and so like I it's, I've almost gotten lost now in like what's developmentally appropriate for the different like ages that they're yeah. in. So when it comes to social, well, you know, any of these buckets, we want to see, we can start filling them from infancy. I mean, we okay. can talk even to our infants. It's never too soon to start working on, you know, the, especially the, on any of these buckets of development. We need to be building them all. So we really can, you know, we'll start in infancy. We may not see results from our kids or we may not see the um, progress of our work till later on when the brain is, you know, is... Um, ready and able to provide or um, to do what we've what we've what we've created in it so we're really what we're doing is we're we're creating neural pathways in the brain so your kids the little guys are born with all of the neural um all the brain cells that they'll have in life what they don't have are the neural connections that need to happen so every time we're working in any of these areas we're wiring and firing we're putting neural connections are are happening and the more we can do that the stronger those neural connections will become for our kids and once they're strong enough then we start to see the rewards of all that we've put into those deposits so like a a concrete example that I'll give parents is we will start talking even in utero we're talking to our babies certainly by the time they're born we're talking we're singing we're reading to them we're navigating their day not that they're going to start talking to us right away, but certainly by the time language comes on board, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 months, all of that now is the wiring and firing that we did, the deposits that we put into that area of development from the time that they were born with the singing and the music and the reading and the talking that we did is wiring the brain for them to be able to, you know, for language and communication with us. So obviously they'll have communication earlier, nonverbal communication earlier than they'll have language, you know, verbal communication. But all of that are the deposits that we're putting in, even from infancy. So same with social and emotional development. We want to be talking to our little ones, our infants, even about their emotions. When they're hungry, when they're tired, when they're upset, whatever it is, we can be labeling and talking to them about those emotions. Not that they're going to understand, but we're making deposits into those buckets of child development. So it's never too young to start. I tell parents because we'll start in infancy. If parents have this information, we start even when, they, when they're just little. Obviously, with, when I start working sometimes with some parents, their kids are three, four, five years old, and then they're a little bit panicked because it's like, oh, my God, Haley, we haven't done this. Are we behind the game? You know, have I ruined my child? Is there any, you know, catching up? And yes, I mean, the earlier we start, the better, you know, it is because our kids have all of that. But I also tell parents it's never too late to start either. So don't worry if you haven't started at three or four or five, pick up where you're at. Once you have that information, then we start and we just start, you know, working in those areas and putting deposits into those buckets. With all of that in mind, like what is your approach or what do you practice with your parents on both praise and discipline? Let's talk um, let's talk discipline first. Okay. So I come from a space of positive discipline. I'm really about, you know, calm, confident, respectful parenting. Um, and I share with parents that there's really there's a difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment really looks at our kids' behavior in the moment and it says, Mm-mm-mm, I do not like that behavior. That behavior needs to stop. It needs to stop right now. And punishment will use, you know, shame, pain, blame, fear, force, or threat. 
whatever it takes to get the job done. We want to control our kids. We want to control their behavior. And if it's shame, pain, blame, fear, force, or threat, we will use that to make sure that that behavior goes away. Punishment's really just concerned with a, with a certain behavior in the moment. Okay. When I work with families in terms of discipline, I'm saying we're taking a much longer approach than just a short-term approach. We're taking a long-term approach. Um, it's not just about changing a behavior or stopping a behavior in the moment. We, with the long-term approach, it's really about building skills. So we're going to take a longer, to, you know, longer approach to do that, and we're not going to punish kids for skills they don't have. We're going to coach them, guide them, and teach them to help build those skills um, that we're looking to develop in our kids. So that's really where we look at the difference between punishment and discipline. And then when I work with families, because it is about skill building, um, I divide discipline up for my families into three areas. A lot of the times when I work with families and I say, tell me what you're doing around discipline, you know, a lot of families will come in, they time out, they're taking things away. Um, there's a lot of yelling that happens or they're rewarding kids when they, when there is the right behavior, they'll buy them something or they'll give them ice cream or a treat or a cookie or something. Mm -hmm. So we really look at those pieces and I, and that's really what we talk about. That's just managing behavior. And I tell parents, because we're looking for that long-term approach, because we're looking to, um, coach guide and teach our kids, we don't only want to be managing behavior. We really, so I break discipline down for parents and I say, in your parenting toolbox, you need to have tools to encourage the behavior you do want. We need to have tools to prevent behavior that we don't want from even happening in the first place where we can. And then, yes, of course, we need to have tools to manage behavior because reality is, even though we want to encourage and prevent, we still got to have tools because sometimes we're still going to end up with behaviors and we have to have tools to manage those behaviors. So I break it down into those three areas, encourage, prevent, and manage. And I tell parents, we really want to try and spend about 70% of our time encouraging the behavior we do want or preventing behavior. And that's when I say, you know, parents will say, oh my God, hey, well, how do we do that? So that's when I talk about giving them tools, you know, um, helping them with new tools or strategies that can help them to encourage the behavior they want or prevent some behaviors from happening. And then we only want to spend about 30% of our time managing behavior because managing is a hard place to be when we're always managing, 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 especially when parents first come to me. And a lot of the time when they're managing behavior, it's with punishment or um, consequences that are just punitive and negative. Right. So even with that, we'll talk about managing behavior. 30% of the time is all that we want to be there. But even when we are there, it's not just about um, consequences. And I help parents and I coach parents with, you know, three, four things that we can do when we're in the area of managing behavior. One is natural consequences. The other is logical consequences and how do we put those logical consequences into place. Um, the other is problem solving. Sometimes the behavior or misbehavior doesn't require a consequence at all. We need to problem solve that situation and work through it with our kids and teach our kids how to solve situations that come up. So sometimes managing behavior means a problem solving conversation. And sometimes uh, managing behavior just means a redo. How can we redo that? How can we do a do-over um, with the information that we want to, with the better behavior that we're wanting our kids to have? How can we redo that situation 
again so that it ends positively and then we can give our kids positive feedback um, at the end of the day for that behavior. Can you um, just talk a little bit about the difference between natural consequences and logical consequences? Mm Mm-hmm. So natural consequences happen naturally in the environment. We do not have to put them into place. And when there are natural consequences available, it's truly wonderful what we can do with with natural consequences. As long as, I tell parents, we can't piggyback on natural consequences. Because a lot of the time, and I'll share with you what they are, a lot of the time a natural consequence will happen, and then we just want to kind of make sure that we drive that point home to our kids and so we will end up lecturing them that goes with it Mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of loses the effect of the natural consequence so when we have natural consequences all we want to have is we want to have empathy for our children's feeling and through what they're going through um, at the end of a natural consequence we just want to validate those feelings and have empathy for them so natural consequence would be you know something um so I just had a client the other day, we were talking, they, they bought their little, their little guy a new basketball. The little boy wanted a new basketball. They went out, they bought him a nice proper leather basketball for him to use and play with. And they were going to the park and this little guy wanted to take the basketball with them to the park. And the parents said, mm, don't think you should. Someone could walk off with it. It could get lost. Not a great idea. And the little guy insisted, no, 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 I want to take it. I'll look after it. I promise nothing will happen to it. I really, really want to take the basketball. And the parents said, that's fine. If you take the basketball, but the basketball gets lost, we're not replacing the basketball. So think carefully about the decision. Anyway, the little guy decided, absolutely, he's going to watch his basketball. It's, he's taking it with, and they went to the park. Um, anyway, lo and behold, when it was time to leave, he could not find his basketball anywhere. And he was really distraught. Brand new basketball that he was so excited about. He took with him um, to the park and now the basketball's gone. And again, you know, that natural consequences just says, you know, connect with them. Yeah, I, I'm, I can see that you're disappointed. That is so sad. I'm so bummed for you. I know how much that basketball meant for you, you know, meant to you. And now it's gone. I'm so sorry, bud. That's hard. And it's so just, no, I told you so. No, I told you so. And <laughs> no, that's where so. it's so hard for us parents because that's where we want to, I told you, and then we want to give our whole rant and rave and our lecture because we really want to make sure that they understand Right. we should not have taken that basketball. Okay, that is good. It is, it just, and I'm curious, especially with like injuries is where I find myself saying the like that I I you know like well I told you to be careful you, mm-hmm. you ran into that table and mm-hmm. it, it I, I find that's where it's hard for me and so I'm I'm curious about what is the reason why like is it, it, it the reason we don't want to we just want to be empathetic is because well we want to be empathetic because when we connect with them our kids want to be seen they want to be heard they want to be validated when we can be empathetic we sit with them in that moment of you know just seeing them hearing them knowing that they're in pain and we're not we can't always make it we don't want to always make it better because that's that resilience piece right um when we don't rescue them from that situation so we can't come at it too kind and too permissive where we rescue them And then the other hand, if we come at it from a place of irritation and frustration, because what ends up happening is we get triggered. Um, What's going on for us? What messages maybe were you given as a child through your parenting? 
we need to be aware of those messages that we have or how we were parented. What comes up for us that we now are triggered with our own emotions around this situation with our kids because we will then parent from that space of fear or frustration or unresolved issues. And now that's when we're getting angry, frustrated. We've got our own emotions that we're putting into this. The problem is when we put our emotions in, when our kids already have their emotions and we don't hold that space for their emotions and allow them to have those emotions with our support, if we start to come at it and we're attacking and we're, you know, shame, pain, blame, lecturing, whatever it is, mm. our kids are no longer focused on, yeah, I own that. That was my responsibility. I chose to take that basketball. They're now focused on us and our anger and our frustration. You're the meanest mom. I hate you. The, you know. They're right. now triggered, they're re-triggered by us, and now they're no longer focused on their behavior and what they can learn from that natural consequence. They're now focused on us and our anger and our frustration. Or they're feeling bad, I'm a bad kid, look at mom's cross with me again, I don't know how to behave well, Mom, you know, mom's mad at me, I've messed up again. And we end up with just kids who are always discouraged because every time they mess up, they misbehave, which, by the way, is part of childhood. This mm -hmm. is the time for them to learn. So they're going to make mistakes. They're going to mess up. They're going to misbehave. And that's where, again, we go back to positive discipline that says coaching, guiding, teaching. Um, what can they learn from these experiences without us putting our baggage in there um, to deal with the situation? And now can you go through logical consequences? Yeah. So logical consequences, if we decide that consequences are needed, like I said, not always the goal of discipline is to have consequences. But if we do need to put consequences into place, um, positive discipline says that there's kind of like a formula to follow that was not just these random consequences. So natural consequences happen naturally. Logical consequences says, yeah, you know what, this behavior does need a consequence. There's no logical one. So we have to put it into place. So if we follow these kind of guidelines, um, it allows our kids to learn from consequences. Punishment's not worried about our kids learning from those consequences. We're just going to put something into place, take a toy away, whatever it might be, because we want to stop the behavior. But again, if we're focused on the learning and the teaching that we want to come from positive discipline, and we follow kind of this formula, consequences become more remedial where our kids learn from them. So we want consequences. They need to be reasonable. They need to be related to the behavior wherever possible. They need to be put into place respectfully. We don't need to be yelling and shouting at our kids to put it into place. We can put it into place respectfully. Um, wherever we are aware, especially if certain things happen, we can put those, we can reveal those consequences in advance. Like with the basketball, if you choose to take the basketball to the park and it gets lost, we're not going to be replacing that basketball. That's the consequence if you choose to take it with you. So where possible, we can reveal the consequence in advance. Certainly by the time your kids are preschool, three, four, five years old, and they've got language, we want to have them reveal it back to us. What did you hear mommy say? So that there's no miscommunication around the consequences. And if we're following those guidelines of reasonable, respectful, related to the behavior, revealed in advance, um, and um, repeat it back to you, consequences become a remedial experience that kids learn from it 
rather than it's just to get rid of a behavior or to uh, unleash our own irritation and frustration on our kids through a punishment. And then our tension and stress goes down, but we've just, you know, placed that all onto our kids. We've dumped it all on them. So it also, you know, when we follow that, it allows us again to stay calm in our parenting, to be more mindful and intentional in the parenting that we're doing, even when it comes to managing behavior with consequences. Um, So, you know, a classic one that I will share with families is, if you've got kids who don't clean up their toys and you're struggling with that, you know, from a punishment perspective, we'll come in and we'll tell them, you know, you guys so disrespectful. You don't care about dad going or mom going to work, earning the money to buy these toys for you. (laughs) There are kids in Africa who have no toys sending these toys to Africa. You're ungrateful. The kids in Africa will appreciate these toys way more than you do. And we're ranting and raving. Um, are we even going to follow through? I mean, how many of us are seriously going to pack up those toys and, you know, send them to ship Africa? Them to Africa. <laughs> Sorry? No, I'm saying like how many of us are going to ship them to Africa? <laughs> exactly. How many of us are going yeah. to Africa? Or parents will come in and they'll say, you know, you don't care about these toys. You're so disrespectful. I'm taking these toys. I'm throwing them away. You don't clean them up. You know, and, you know, how many of us are actually going to follow through and throw those toys away? Um, although I must say, I did have one dad and he said, Haley, I did follow through. And he said, it's probably about $100 worth of Lego that I threw in the trash and let it go to make my point and, you know, follow through with consequences. <laughs> so we want to be careful. You know, we do want to put things into place in terms of logical consequences. There need to be things that are that we can follow through with and they need to be reasonable. And that's why instead of, you know, not having a plan and just going in there and shouting the odds and getting irritated and frustrated and not having that awareness and clarity and shipping toys to Africa or throwing things away, you know, we can come in and say, whatever toys you clean, you get to keep. If you're not cleaning the toys, I clean the toys and any of the toys that mommy cleans, I keep for two days. They belong to me. So we can come in really reasonably. We come in respectfully We're not yelling and shouting. We're just respectful in what that consequence will be. We've revealed in advance, you clean the toys, you keep the toys. You don't clean the toys, I'll do it. And if I need to do it, I'm keeping them for two days, which is reasonable. Um, I, by the way, I feel so validated because that is, that is my, that is the one thing I say to my son. I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to, you know, we're going to clean up your toys. Whatever you clean up, you'll keep whatever I clean up, I keep. Mm -hmm. And that gets gets my son moving. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And you know, when we can put things into place that we put in respectfully and we follow through with, maybe they test us in the beginning and they lose those toys for one or two days. But once they realize that your word is golden, you say what you mean. Mean yeah. what you say, no need to say it in a mean way. Your kids learn, yeah, follow through. Yeah. You know, when mom says, you know, she follows through and she means that. So if we have to take the toys away, we'll take them for two days. They'll come back in two days. And when we bring them back in, we bring them with the encouragement to say, you know what? Play, enjoy, create, do whatever you need to. I'm so glad that you've got your toys back today. And we can put in a reminder that says, Let's consider how we want to clean up today to clean up time to go today with your toys. Yeah. So and we it, let them play. We don't have to, you know, the, when we bring the toys back out, it doesn't have to come with a big lecture or anything else as well. Right, right. I think that's like the key point, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to kind it's of all so of this. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard not to go down that lecturing route. Yeah. We just want to make sure that our kids heard us and just really make sure if you didn't hear that, let me just tell it to you again. So you really, really heard it. 
<laughs> and so we left her. And, and then, again, her then I need to make sure that you remember it. So repeat exactly. it back to me. And maybe even a third time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we want, we want to be spending less time here. So maybe we can go through some of the ways that we can encourage and prevent behavior because that's mm-hmm. where we want to spend most of our time. Okay. Yeah. So we do. So ways that we can encourage the behavior we want is modeling it. Your kids are always watching what you're doing. Even our little guys, even our teenagers, they're watching us. So if we want a certain behavior, we need to be doing that behavior. We have to walk the walk with our kids. It can't just be about the talk. Um, Our kids are much more likely to do what they see us do than what we tell them that they need to do. So modeling that. And this is what I have to say, you know, and this is with everything. It's not just around their behavior. It's even with their emotional development. So I had, you know, when it comes to Devin and him being so much more emotional than I am and him triggering me with his emotions and his, those meltdowns and tantrums when he was younger, part of our, our journey with our kids is we're learning at the same time that they're learning. You know, we're teaching them how to be these you know, build these life skills and characteristics in them in all these areas of development. But sometimes, you know, it's about us learning those things at the same time to model that. So we sometimes in things that we may be modeling for our kids, sometimes we got to do a little bit of catch up and we're learning to do some of those behaviors ourselves. And so that we can model them for our kids. Um, So don't only think about misbehavior when it comes to that. It's also about that emotional peace and emotional regulation for our kids. Um, So modeling the behavior is definitely one way that we can do it. And then we need to take time teaching, actually teaching the behaviors that we want. So I will tell parents when it comes to little guys, you know, reading stories around the behaviors and having conversation and using those stories as um, a teaching tool. It could be any of your movies. If you watch a movie that's got any of those areas that or behaviors that you want to, you know, point out or work with, you can springboard a conversation from watching a movie together. Um, puppet shows. Our little ones love puppet shows. So role-playing that, doing it through puppet shows and role-play is another way to teach um, the lessons to our little guys. So making sure that we take time to teach whatever it is, whether it's with books, whether it's with um, movies, whether it's with um, and a combination of all, whether it's with role-play, whether it's with puzzle, I mean puppets, However we can teach the lessons, we have to take time to intentionally teach the behaviors that we want, not just assume that our kids understand what it is. Right. And again, when I'm working with parents, I will even say, if you're going to model it, or if you're going to, um, not model, if you're going to role play it to teach your kids, or you're going to do a puppet show around it, do the right behavior and the wrong. Let them see the yin and the yang. Let them see the contrast of both to really help the teaching. Don't just model the good behavior that you do want, model both so that they can really see what, you know, it really drives home what we're looking to create there with behavior. So teaching is really, really important. And then the last part that goes with that is feedback. So we want to make sure that we're always giving our kids feedback for their behavior. Notice the good behaviors, notice the behaviors that we do want. Um, and, and point that out to your kids. So I talk to parents about something called PDA, positive descriptive acknowledgement. So if they've given us behavior, even if it's not a spiritual with our little guys, it may not be the whole range of the behavior that we're looking for, even if it's just parts of it that they were able to manage. We want to give them positive descriptive acknowledgement for the part that they held together. 
Okay, so let's say you've got a little guy who who yells and is physical when when a sibling takes a toy or when they're upset. Let's say this time they just yelled at their sibling, but they didn't kick. So we don't have all the behavior we want. We would like them to stay calm both emotionally and behaviorally. But let's say just this time that they were calm behaviorally, they didn't hit or kick or push or anything, but they were yelling. Give, you know, give them information around that. You know what? I know that your sister took your toy, really upset you. You were mad and you yelled at her when you were mad. I'm glad that you kept your hands to yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. So feedback doesn't only have to be that they did the whole thing correctly. Feedback can be even just parts of it that we noticed that they managed. We want to give them that positive feedback on what they did do well, what they did do right. Okay. And I encourage parents, you know, what we focus on grows. A lot of the time, our kids will be playing beautifully for 15 or 20 minutes. And we're just so grateful because we get to return an email or get the laundry on or wash the dishes or get dinner started or whatever. And then, you know, Johnny hits Jenny and then, you know, they're fighting. And then we step in um, and we're dealing with the misbehavior. We're dealing with the negative behavior. We have to make sure that we're giving our kids feedback when things are going right. We would have had a good amount of time in that 10 or 15 minutes just to put in a comment there to say, wow, I love to see how you guys are sharing those blocks and really building that great tower with your Legos together. Love when you guys play nicely. I'm just finishing up dinner. I'll be with you in just a few minutes. It's almost dinner time. So we can put those positive things in that we forget to do because life is just sometimes so busy and we're moving at the speed of life and kids and work and dinner and everything else. But what we focus on grows. So don't only give feedback when something's gone wrong. Make sure that we can give feedback on the positive behaviors that we do want to develop in our kids. Um, And that's another way to encourage the behavior we want. Catch them being good. Catch them doing those right behaviors and give them feedback on that. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so those are some ways that we can, um, you know, modeling, teaching, and giving feedback um, are ways that we can really encourage the behaviors that we do want. Positive feedback for positive behaviors, not only waiting for situations to happen to give feedback. And then in preventing behavior. You know, we want to create a yes space for our kids. We don't always, especially for toddlers and preschool age, we don't always want to be telling them, mm, don't touch, no, 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 don't be mm-hmm. careful, you know, don't, don't, don't. Um, they're at a stage of development where they need to be exploring. They need, you know, their autonomy is, is building for them and, and their exploration is building for them. And we have to give them a yes space to to be able to do that. So I tell parents, you know, first of all, just look at it from a physical perspective from your kids. Are you given the opportunity to do what they're wired to do from a child development perspective, which is to be autonomous, to try things, to explore and to, you know, to do. So that is, if we can look at our environment and how we're managing that, that in itself can prevent some behaviors from happening. Okay. I I always share with families, you know, my kids all so different. And if we had more time, I'd go into all the different areas and buckets and where they were so different. But one of the areas like Karen, my youngest, was so amazing with her gross and fine motor skills. Um, You know, and this is just where that whole looking at that temperament and looking at genetics and looking at development, you know, is so fascinating to me when I work with families to help them get clear on it. So three kids, Robin, Davin, and Karen. Robin walked at an average age. She walked around um, 12 months. 
Devon was late with his walking. He only walked around 15 months. We were kind of at the point with the pediatrician. He's saying, mm, you know what, late, start, late side of normal. Let's give him a few more weeks. If he's not working, we're going to have to look into some OT or PT, see what's, you know, what, mm-hmm. what needs to happen. But when Devon got it at 15 months, he was great. He was just on the late end of normal for his development there. And then Karen was um, really early with her development. So where Robin was average, Devon was late. Karen was born in April. And Karen walked in December. She was seven and a half months old. She didn't even crawl. She just went straight to walking. So by the time Karen was, I mean, I I was actually devastated. Once I had Davin, who was later with walking, I thought when I had my third, oh, my God, another 15-month-old, that would be great. I don't have to baby-proof. I'm not following her around at the park. I'm really, and I know I don't have to panic. I'm all good for 15 months. And then Karen comes along, and she's early on her development, and she walks at seven and a half months. I mean, I was like heartbroken, but I had to work with what I had. By the time Karen was 12 months old, when average kids are just, when most of our kids are just learning to walk, Karen was pushing chairs up to my kitchen island and climbing from the chair onto the kitchen island. So again, when we look at prevention, I could have spent all day with her saying, "Uh uh-uh, Karen, leave the chair. You cannot climb on that. Don't pull the chair to the island. Or I could have just said, yep, you know what? We're pulling the chairs out. Um, the chairs go in the garage and kind of like in my house when Karen was little until we got that worked out with her it was kind of bring your own chair to dinner so when I'd call the family and say it's dinner time go get your chair in the garage and bring it to the dinner table because there were no chairs in the kitchen because that was prevention I didn't have to spend all day telling telling Karen "Uh uh-uh no no you can't you can't you can't I said yeah you can explore any of our kitchen needs into our family room it's a yes space you know go ahead And we'll bring the chairs out when we need them. And the rest of the time, the chairs are put away. So we can create it from a space point of view, look around and see, you know, what we can do. Um, The other thing that's really great with prevention is choices. Um, Again, it's not about controlling our kids. We want them to make, you know, sometimes they're going to make those mistakes and that's okay. Every mistake is a learning opportunity and we work with that. But choices is a great way also to um, to prevent some behaviors when we give our kids, you know, one or two choices around something. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, choices can help prevent some of the behavior. Davin was one of those kids. He um, would never wear a jacket. And me, you know, and again, my own issue now that I look back on it, but in the moment, it's like you cannot go to school without even a sweater on. It's freezing cold. It's the middle of winter. It's raining. And he was the kid who just didn't feel the cold. So it became a battle of the wills. Um, so eventually, when I learned about choices, I remember so clearly I said to him, Dad, how do you want to do your, your sweater this morning? Do you want to wear it to school or do you want to put it in your backpack? He was in kindergarten. Do you want to put it in your backpack and you can use it later? You know, you'll have it later if you need it. And he looked at me. He was coming down the stairs. He said to me, I can put it in my backpack. I said, sure, go grab any sweater. Put it in your backpack. You're good to go, bud. He ran upstairs, he got his sweater, he shoved it in his backpack, and we were good to go. Yeah. Any of the other mornings before that, we were in a power struggle because I wanted the kid to have a sweater. There wasn't a choice. It was about me controlling him, and he was fighting back. He was pushing back. He wanted his autonomy. I love the choices thing. I feel like that is like a, I don't want to say controlling, but it's like a great way to like box in the decisions Mm -hmm. while still providing them autonomy. So we do, yeah. And the thing is with parenting, we do, we need to be in control. I mean, it's not, I'm not about permissive parenting where our kids rule the roost. That's got its right. own set of issues. But our kids do need to have that autonomy. They need to make some decisions. And we have to, in any areas that we can, 
truly, I mean, for my, for my kids, you want the breakfast, for breakfast, you want the muffins, you want cereal. When we go to the park, where do you want to start? You want to start on the swings? You want to stand in the sand? Do you want to start on the slide? I was just giving them lots and lots of choices all throughout the day. And then when it came a time that I couldn't give a choice, um, even bedtime became a choice. I give my kids a thing. You want to go to bed now? Or do you want an extra 10 minutes? They always took the 10 minutes, but until my kids could tell time, it worked amazingly. Because if I knew bedtime was 8 o'clock, I would come to my kids at 10 to 8, and I'd say, what do you guys want? I can have bedtime now, or you can choose an extra 10 minutes. I don't mind either way. They always chose the 10 minutes, which was fine. We were going upstairs at 8 o'clock, which is what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we still want to have control it's not a free for all um, but we do want to give our kids some space to make some decisions have some autonomy in there because if we don't we're going to end up in a lot of power struggles especially if we have strong-willed kids especially when it comes to temperament if we have kids that are wired more in that strong-willed way um, we're going to have a lot more power struggles with them yes. so choices is another great way um, you know, some other ways to prevent behavior is sometimes just granting the wish in fantasy. And again, just our kids feel heard, they feel seen, they feel validated, even though we're going to hold the boundary. Um, you know, it's something like, you know, if they really want, you know, cookies, wouldn't it be amazing if we could just eat chocolate chip cookies all day long, if all the nutrition that our bodies and brains needed to be healthy and to grow came from chocolate chip cookies? How many chocolate chip cookies do you think you would eat every day to keep your body strong and healthy? So even though we can't hold the, we're going to hold the boundary that says, but right now we've had enough cookies for the day or it's dinner time and there are no cookies, just granting that wish, having a conversation, it changes the whole dynamic. It changes the mood. It brings us into connection with our kids and that can prevent some of the, the behavior happening down the road. You know, then they're more likely to accept, you know, because we've got humor, we've got fun, we've got connection and they'll say, okay, we'll have, to, we'll have cookies another time. And so that's, that's actually a great tool. I, I feel like a lot of the times, like my son will get fixated on something mm -hmm. and it's like really hard to redirect him. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the, um, like, that is what I, what I, that's like, you, I didn't even know that that was what that was, but like that, that's the only way I've been able to, just yeah. like, to then come up with this like elaborate story for us to talk about with the thing that he wanted. Yeah. And so sometimes that will redirect the, the you know, redirect the behavior in a positive way. Um, you know, and sometimes we can't redirect, we don't always want to redirect, you know, mm -hmm. or distract our kids. Sometimes, you know, it is about going into that messy middle and allowing the emotions to happen. And then we just, you know, connect with the behavior, connect with the need, connect that's driving the behavior, connect with the emotions that are driving the behavior. A lot of times when I work with parents and it comes to behavior, they want to correct the behavior. And I say, don't worry about correcting behavior. You'll get there. It's not the first step that we need to get to when we're talking about, um, you know, changing behavior with our kids. The first step is to connect with the behavior. Why? Get curious. Why are your kids behaving this way? Is there a need that's driving the behavior? What are the emotions that are driving the behavior? So connect with the behavior first, um, and then we can worry about the correction of the behavior once we've done the connection piece first. So connection before correction. And when we do that with, you know, granting the wish in fantasy, it allows us to connect, um, and we can deal with behavior afterwards. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. You I think correct with behavior later. Yeah. With that, you know, like you, you mentioned timeout and I, I, I want to 
kind of ask some questions around that. Cause I, like, I, I have a question around like, like specifically like tantrums, like when your child is in a tantrum and like, they're like, what is like where, like, I, I think that a lot of people are like, they're like, Oh, you know what? You need to take a minute, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, like Mm -hmm. the, the timeout. What is a good like tool? Like I guess it because like sometimes what I'll do with my son is like I remove him from like my daughter and the room that we're all in, and I like will sit with him in a chair, mm-hmm. and like and and like that usually will calm him down. But mm-hmm. I feel like what it doesn't do is like he can't like as soon as we go back into as soon as like we rejoin the ranks of whatever it is that we were doing, it almost like shifts him right back into that moment. Mm. And to your point, you're saying we don't want to redirect. So like, what could I be doing better as a parent to bring him down, like, like calm him down, like, and then like allow him to re-engage with everybody in the way that we expect <laughs> okay so you, you bring up something very important it's not about time out I'm not a proponent of time out and sending kids to their room when they've got big emotions to say you know what figure this out all by yourself um, right. and come out when you're calmer and you can behave better it is about time in and that again goes but especially when our kids toddler preschool age we want to be sitting with them in time in to teach them how to manage those big you know emotions um, so really, we want to give them space. To, we, first, we have to allow the feelings. Let them know feelings are okay. There's no judgment around feelings. It's not good and bad. Some feelings are easier. Some feelings are more difficult. But we're going to have a whole range of feelings or emotions, and we're allowing all of those. We're not necessarily going to allow every behavior. And that's, again, that's social emotional. You can have all your emotions Um the easy ones and the more difficult ones, but you can't always – you cannot hit or scream or shout at me you know, when you get upset and we'll teach them about what would be better options for managing their behavior when they've got big feelings. But the first step is allowing those feelings, letting them know, allowing those feelings, connect with them on those feelings um, and validate their feelings, offer genuine empathy around that. They're feeling sad, they're feeling frustrated and this is why. So connect and validate around that. And then we've got to give them space to, um, to process those feelings. And this is where we just want to, we want to connect and we validate and then we want to move on. We want to get straight to problem solving and moving on. And um, we can't always do that. If we get to, if you try and go into problem solving too soon or coming back to a context too soon and you get behavior back again, that lets Mm -hmm. you know that he didn't fully um, process those emotions and they're not fully gone. He's still in an emotional state and those Mm -hmm. emotions are going to spring right back up. So giving him more time then, and and sometimes we want to offer, you know, coping strategies. What are ways that they can, you know, that are helpful for them to to help them calm down with some strategies? You know, is it just reading a book so that those emotions can settle down? Some kids, you know, is it deep breathing with you? Is it smell? Some kids, you know, you can put a dot of like um, essential oils on their wrist. You know, does he want to smell the lavender? You know, that smell, just sitting there and smelling and breathing can help them to calm down. Some kids need to move. Davin was never a kid that I could help with um, emotional regulation by just sitting calmly and still. He needed to move. He was going to go and shoot some basketball hoops. He was going to, you know, go and do some jumping jacks or, you know, running in the backyard. And I gave him that space to do that. And that's where parents also will struggle. They'll say, well, isn't that just rewarding the, the misbehavior that he just did? He hit his sister. He grabbed a toy. He yelled at me, whatever. And now I'm letting him go run in the backyard or shoot some hoops. 
And I'm like, no, we're not rewarding. What you're letting him know is I recognize your emotions. I respect you've got emotions. And I'm going to respect that you need to move to let you process and get those emotions down, you know, those heightened emotions back down again. Um, when you're calm, we will definitely then move into problem solving. And that's where we are managing the behavior. And then when he's really calm, and sometimes that's not right away. Sometimes for Davin, it was maybe an hour later. Sometimes it was two hours later. But when we had a car, when he was totally calm and I was totally calm, and that's important, we both have to be calm. Right. We would come back and we would process. We would talk about what happened, why it happened, and what could be done differently. If there was a consequence, that would be the time that I would give the consequence. If it wasn't a consequence that was needed and we just needed to problem solve, um, we would do the problem solving. How would you do this next time? When this happens next time, Devin, what's the plan? Um, and work with him from that perspective. So that makes total, total sense. I have, and I, I'm going to be respectful of your time. I want to, I, but I want to ask one more question that kind of relates to that. Uh-huh. Cause I think it's, um, so, so like, I, I, I love that. Cause that is, that, that is clearly what my son needs to, like he needs to go outside and run around. And like, there's mm-hmm. times where he, he like does something, he knows he shouldn't have done it and he'll go to run outside. And yeah. that's when I'll like grab him. And I mean, not, not yeah, graphic, but like uh, 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 but. interfere in the, like in, in his attempt at escaping mm-hmm. and I'll, I have clearly have been handling it wrong and that like, I've, I've like tried to sit with him, but like he needs to run it out. Now what mm-hmm. I'm, what my question is, is what I'm fine with letting him go outside, run it out and it, and it's seen, and then uh, and re-engaging with him later to kind of talk about what happened. And that's how he, he needs that's the space he needs. Like Mm -hmm. I've always found that giving him an hour or whatever it is, is actually better. Mm -hmm. But my daughter who's younger. And I think like when you look at the diff, like people who have more than one child and they have like the kids are a different development. Like I don't want her to see him go running outside to, because she's not going to see that conversation with him later. And so how do you balance that? Um, So it is a conversation. So again, how old is your daughter? She's 18 months. Okay. Oh, so you, that, there's your 18-month-old that you have. Yeah, yeah she's not <laughs> going to process it or understand it right now. But this is what I tell parents. Fair does not mean that everybody gets the same thing because there's right. no one-size-fits-all to parenting. It's really about finding what's best for you and each of your kids. Um, so fair, the definition of fair for me is everybody gets what they need to succeed. Mm-hmm. So when she is a little bit older and she looks at that, yeah, you're going to give her the information. You're going to say, you know what, when he gets upset, he needs to go run. He can't just calm his body down. He needs to go run. And so we're giving him space. I'm giving him that space to go run, to process his emotions, to bring his body and his brain back to calm. And then I'm going to process and we'll problem solve and we'll figure it out when he's calm. But he gets to do that because that's what his body needs to get calm. She gets the same privileges because we want that emotional regulation for her and we want her to be able to do hers in a healthy way also. Mm-hmm. But she may be more like my girls who would say, you know what, take some space, go read. They were just so happy to go read a book or, you know, go listen to music in their rooms or something until mm-hmm. I was calm because my kids, my two <laughs> girls are so easygoing and so calm. Sometimes it was me who needed to get my emotions under control. So I would let them know I'm upset. I'm, you know, just whatever it was. I need to take a break. And when I'm feeling calm and you guys are calm, we'll come back and we'll problem solve this. But I sometimes needed to step out, even though my girls didn't. 
But if my girls did, they never needed to go and run, but I still gave them the space. Devin needs space to run and do his emotions. You can go and read. You can go and listen to music because they did much more calming things, like, you know, calmer things like that to process Mm -hmm. their emotions. Take some time, go read, you know, go listen to music. When we're all calm, we will come back and we will process all of this. And then we'll talk about what were those emotions, what triggered those emotions. This is what you did. How do we solve this next time? And if there was consequences, like I said, that would be part of the conversation. But sometimes even for your daughter to see, and again, like I said, we start when they're little, not that she's making sense of it and say, oh, yeah, I get that, mom. Now I know what I need to do. That's the other piece with this age group is repetition, repetition, repetition Mm. is your best friend. Truly at this age, we're building skills. We're filling those buckets of child development. We're working with different temperaments where some kids get it more easily than others. Um, Repetition is just the mother of all skill building. And we have to just give them that space and repeat and repeat and repeat until we've made that wiring and firing, wiring and firing. And now those neural connections are there and it makes sense. And we've changed behavior permanently. Thank you so much. I feel like this has been the most uh, informative hour I've I've had in a long time. I'm glad. And and will be so helpful to our audience, to me. And I just, yeah, I can't thank you enough for your time. You're absolutely welcome. I'm happy to do it. Okay, that's all for today. If you found this episode helpful, please, please, please share it with your mama friends and write a review. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Juno Women podcast on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening now. If you're pregnant or postpartum, you can download the Juno app for tailored follow-along workouts and nutrition advice just for this period of your life. Lastly, if you know someone who you think would be a fantastic guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at juna.co. See you next week.